Hey, well, good morning, River Tree. My name is Stephen Dunn. I'm the student pastor here, and I get the joy to work with uh, this band every single week on Wednesday nights, and they do a great job. So can we give it up for them one more time? And Alan Tidmore, who you guys know, Alan, he works a lot with him, disciples, and pours into him. I just want to say thank you, Alan. It was a blessing to my heart today. Some of you, uh, you didn't know you were coming to River Tree South today, but you got to the main campus. You heard a lot of children's music, and you're like, I'm out. So you came down here. So if this is your first time on South, don't make it your last time. Uh, we have a few more months till we launch our downtown campus, and we can use people down here. But I want to say thanks for being here. Um, man, it's amazing to me to think that Christmas is over, and I hope and trust you had a Merry Christmas, and that we're kind of walking into this new year, right? And not only a new year, if you really think about it, like it's a new decade. Like it's hard to believe that 20 years ago uh, at Y2K, many people thought the world was going to end, right? Computers were going to crash. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's okay. It didn't happen, right? Um, but we thought the world was going to end. We stocked up for computers crashing, but now we're entering 2020. And my hope for you is this, that 2020 is better than 2019. That 2020 is a greater year for you than 2019. Now, for some of you, you would say this. You would say, Stephen, that's not hard for me to imagine. This year was tough. It was marked by failure, disappointment, heartache, broken family relationships, death, disease, and loss. So, of course, I hope 2020 is better than this last year because it can't get much worse. And if that's where you're at this morning, I just want you to know our heart goes out to you. If 2019 was hard, if 2019 was marked by weakness, I just want you to know you are loved and you are safe here. And for others of you, you're like, I don't know how it can get better, right? Like maybe you welcomed your first child into the world. Maybe you welcomed a new grandchild into the world. Maybe a new relationship started or a new job started. Or man, you finally got through that first semester of college. I see a lot of you students who are back from that. You're like, I just don't know how it could get better. But my, my thought is this, and I think it's something that we all share in common. I think every one of us is hopeful that this next year is marked by more achievement and more success than this past year was. And, and I think that comes from a good place in all of us, right? Like it comes from this place where the reality is this, that we want to exercise more. And we want to eat better. And we want to read scripture more. Maybe go to church more. Maybe we want our relationships to go deeper, right? And like, those are good things. And those come from a good place in us. And so much of our life is marked by achievement and success. But for the next few moments, here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you about welcoming weakness in 2020. I want to talk to you about welcoming weakness in 2020. Now, I know that can seem a little counterintuitive, right? Like you come into a church right before the new year, you're ready for your resolution list, you're ready to kind of mark your goals and your achievements, and those are not bad things. But I think there's something that weakness can offer us that achievement can never offer us. And I think it's something we all have in common in this room today, right? This idea that the reality is a lot of our lives are marked by weakness. And if you're anything like me, you don't like the fact that you're weak, okay? You don't enjoy that. You don't want people to know. In fact, we've built whole systems and societies about achievement. Ever since we were young, it's about how, how smart are you? 
What's your ACT score, right? That's a lot that teenagers deal with today. Man, where were you athletically? Where were you in your class? Did you get the part in band or theater? Or or did you get the relationship that you longed for? Did you get into the college that you applied for? Did you end up getting the job you always wanted? And even more so today than 20 years ago, I think we have a hard time with failure. Now, now, if you're familiar with this, even our sports leagues have changed, right, for our children. I've coached in these leagues, and my kids have played in these leagues, but where at the end of the game, everybody gets a sticker or an award for, for something they did well in the game. Some people get best offense. Other kids get best defense. Some kids get best teammate, okay? It's like, way to go. You were good to the team. Some people get that most Christ-like sticker. I think that's like the bailout for the coaches because they're like, well, you didn't do good, but you were like Jesus, okay? <laughs> but the reality is this. I think the reason that we've created systems and environments like this is because we as parents, man, we don't want our kids to fail necessarily. We want to protect them. We want them to experience success and achievement because a lot of our identity can be wrapped up in that. And, and I think the reason we don't want them to fail is because we don't like to fail, <laughs> We don't want our lives to be categorized by weakness. A lot of our life is marked by our achievements, but I would say this, that most of our faith is marked by our weakness and our failures. And I would say that our failures and our weakness brings us closer to Christ than our achievements ever could. If I'm honest, I don't like weakness. This week, as I was preparing uh, during Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and in other moments this week, I was like, man, am I going to have enough to say? Like, like, am I going to say the right things? Am I going to be impressive enough? Am I going to be worth enough for you to even listen? But I realized this, that like in my weakness, in my struggle, in my wrestle, that's where God can use me the most. And even though I run for weakness, even though I don't want weakness in my life, I know this, that when I welcome weakness, God's power is perfected in my life. And I would offer you that as kind of the single statement to walk away from today, that when we welcome weakness, God's power is perfected in our lives. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 10. The, the, the verses will be on the screen, but if you've got a copy of Scripture, go ahead and look with me. Here's what Paul says. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given to me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For where I am weak, there I am strong. Right before this passage, Paul begins to describe this spiritual experience he had. He talks about the fact that he had this incredible vision of heaven and the glory of heaven. In fact, it was probably the greatest spiritual experience that Paul had ever had with the Lord. And he says, because of this experience, because of how great it was, because of how amazing it was, there was a thorn in the flesh given to me, a messenger of Satan sent to harass me. 
I don't know about you, but this is not often what I pray for, okay? Like, I'm not thinking, hey, Lord, could you send a thorn in my flesh this week so that my pride would kind of go down? And that's not what I'm thinking about, but this is what Paul's reality is. This thorn was announcing his weakness. It was declaring his weakness. It was letting everyone know, even though so much of this guy's life had been marked by victory and strength, he was utterly weak and helpless. It reminds us of the story of Job, right? Where, where Job is, is stripped of everything and Satan wants to take his life, but he can't do anything without God's permission. This is a paradox of the text. God has given Paul this thorn to keep him from becoming, becoming conceited, but Satan is constantly harassing him and using him with it. And we don't know what the thorn was. There has been so much speculation through the years, right? Some people said that, it was um, temptation. Some have said it was persecution. Some said it was a speech deficit. Some said Paul's eyesight was failing him. But the reality is this. So much more good has been done in our lives for the very fact we don't know what the thorn is than if we did know, right? Because we can relate to it. It's something we have in common with Paul. Because every single one of us in this room has this area in our life, this so-called thorn that we wish wasn't there, that we wish would go away. And if Paul had named his thorn, then we would feel left out of this kind of picture in this text. But the reality is this, that God put it there and kept it kind of unknown so that we could relate to this text and we could hear the same words Jesus spoke to Paul, spoken to us this morning in the midst of our weakness. I think if Satan had his way, he would have rather Paul just been a jerk, okay, and been arrogant than actually be humbled and relying on the Lord in this moment. And we know that Paul recognizes who's in control ultimately. Because the next verse shows us that he pleads with God three times. He says, God, I, I don't like this. God, I want there to be distance and space between my weakness and my reality. God, I need something to change in my life. And, and the cool thing about him going to God is we know he ultimately had hope, right? He had hoped that there was one person with the power to change his circumstances. He pleaded with the risen Christ who himself had pleaded with the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane to remove the cup of God's wrath from his life. And as he pleads with Jesus, and he says, you're alive and you're well and you're able to take this weakness away from him, he hopes that something would change. And man, I have found myself relating to Paul so much in this moment. Because there have been things in my life, like even this last month, that I wish were different. I have pleaded with God, won't you change this? Won't you rescue us in the midst of this circumstance? God, won't you move right now? Because God, I can't fix it. God, I can't change it. God, this world is broken and things are not the way they are meant to be. And I need help. And a lot of times I plead for those things because I don't want you to know that I'm weak. Because I don't want this perceived reality of, hey, this guy must have it together to change. Yet God's doing something more here. I think our weakness can often be an incredible source of pain for us, right? It's the thing we don't like about us. It's the thing that probably the middle schooler would make fun of us if they knew about, right? Because they always tell the truth. But it can be kind of this point of shame and guilt in our life that the Lord does not want us to live with. And I think it's the part of our life that we wish no one would know. Because we wonder this, if you really knew. 
if you really knew how I wrestled, if you really knew how I struggled, if you really knew my doubts and my insecurities and my failure and my weakness, would you still love me? Would you still accept me? Would you still want to be in a relationship with me, right? So what do we do? We try to distance ourselves from our weakness. Tim Keller said this. He said, we are always trying to justify ourselves because we need desperately to feel superior to others. So it makes complete sense to me that when Paul has this thorn in his side that is harassing him, he is pleading for God to change his circumstances. He's struggling with weakness. It finds him at every single corner he goes. And here he passionately pleads. In verse 9, Jesus gives him the answer. It's a verse that probably we're familiar with if we have any experience in church. It's a verse that I have prayed to myself or quoted to others in hopes that it would be helpful. But it's a verse that we so desperately need to sit in, probably not only this morning, but this week. And this is what Jesus says. He says these words, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I think Jesus is saying, I'm enough. I think weakness often strips us down to where all we have left is Jesus. He says, my grace is enough for you. It's something that Paul has been learning all throughout his ministry. And if you were to read the whole book of 2 Corinthians, you would realize this is kind of the climax of the book. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul talks about the struggles that they had when he says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of this affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And some of you, you relate to that. Life has been so hard, so tough. Waking up the next day just seems difficult. He said, indeed, we felt that we received a sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul's weakness was the platform for him to experience resurrection power. Paul's weakness was the platform for him to experience resurrection power. What Paul is saying here is, guys, we got to the point where we recognize that our weakness and our struggles and the part of life that we despise was to make us not rely on ourselves, but to rely on God who raises the dead. And I would say this, that if weakness in our lives and in our hearts could bring us to the point where we rely on God and not ourselves, then bring more weakness my way because I need it desperately, because I'm good at relying on myself. I'm good at Googling the answer, right? I'm good at going to others for advice. I'm good at kind of getting stuck and trying to figure it out mode all the time. But there's moments that God is so gracious and so good in my life that he strips me of it all. And he says, the only thing you have left is me. And in your weakness, you're going to experience my grace like never before. You're going to experience my person like never before. Uh, this guy, Peter Garzo, said an emotionally healthy leader, this, this idea of resurrection and death. And he said these words, death is a necessary prelude to resurrection. To bear long-term fruit for Christ, we need to recognize that some things must die so new life can come. And for some of us, that's a dream. For some of us, that's a hope. 
For some of us, that's just wishing things would be different than they are. And yet the reality is they are not. And yes, we have a God who is able. Don't, don't misunderstand me, okay? We have a God who is absolutely able. But we also have a God who meets us in the midst of our weakness and says, hey, that thing that is dying in your life right now, it's necessary so resurrection can come in your life. There can be no resurrection power without weakness. Paul would say it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our bodies also. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death isn't working us, but life in you. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our persecution, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our weakness, we are showing the world a tangible Jesus. And as they see this tangible Jesus and they see that we struggle and we see that we're broken and they see that we don't have it all together, you know what begins to happen? It begins to bring life into other places. Like I love that reality and that is hard sometimes though. I think we need to understand that this power and weakness helps us understand the cross of Christ so much. Because in weakness, Jesus died on the cross. But in power, he rose from the grave. Paul understood and he began to embrace this fact. His life had been marked by weakness. Even his salvation was marked by weakness. He's blinded on the road to Damascus. He's led by hand to the person who would share good news for him. He had achieved so much. In fact, he had achieved his identity up to this point. But the gospel is not about what you and I achieve. You know, the gospel is all about receiving. Like, that's good news, right? That we can't do enough or earn enough or be good enough to get right with God. That the only hope that you and I have is that God became human and took on flesh and he dwelt among us. And in weakness, he died on the cross and he defeated the grave and sin once and for all. And now he offers us life. Paul's life was marked by weakness. He'd been lowered in a basket one time to escape his persecutors. He had been beat. He had been persecuted. He had betrayal. He had friendships that were ruined. And for a guy who, who had done so much for the kingdom of God, it should come no surprise to us that his life is marked by weakness. Yeah, I love this. In his weakness, he is drawn closer to Jesus, not further away. That thorn was meant to pin him close to Jesus closer than he could have ever got on his own. I love when Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. What Jesus is really saying here is, is these personal pronouns, right? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus is offering it to Paul freely. He's saying, this is for you, Paul. And, and what we would understand about our God is that he is personal that he loves us and he longs for us and he pursues us to win our hearts back to him. But not only that, something that we miss in our English translation in the Bible is the, the, the tense that this was originally written in. 
It's written in this thing called the perfect tense in Greek, which means it's not just for the past, okay? That this idea that God's grace is sufficient wasn't just for the past. It wasn't something that Paul remembered. No, Paul stopped praying, God removed my weakness from me, removed this thorn from me, and he started, he started hearing the risen Savior say, my grace is enough. It was for the past, it was for the present, and it was for the future. And weakness is necessary for grace to be fully alive. And while Paul understands we live in a broken world, he was also allowing those thorns in his life to pin him closer to Christ. And I love this. It's this intimacy with Christ, this richness in his relationship that allows his posture towards weakness to change. No longer is it a source for shame and guilt. No longer is it a place that he wishes to distance from himself from. No, this is now seen to the apostle as an advantage. He's no longer hiding or ashamed. No, he understands this, friends. He understands something that, man, my hope is that we would all understand. And when we leave this room and tomorrow when we think back to this text, that we remember that, man, our weakness can be used for God's purposes in our life. Look what Paul says at the end of verse 9 and verse 10. He says, therefore, like if God's grace is sufficient for me and his power is perfected in weakness, therefore I will, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ that I am content with my weakness, my insults, my hardships, my persecutions and calamities for where I am weak, I am strong. I mean, this seems so counterintuitive, right? To boast about the very areas that we don't want anyone to know about. But he says he welcomes weakness. And when he welcomes weakness, not only is God's power perfected in him, but there's something even sweeter, that God's power rests upon him. The same language used, if you're familiar with the tabernacle stories in the Old Testament, when God's people would pitch a tent and God's presence would rest upon, among them in the wilderness. It's also the same language used to describe Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 14, when it says that Jesus became flesh and he dwelt, literally, he pitched his tent among us. Here's what Paul's beginning to understand. Paul is saying that when I boast in my weakness, the power of Christ pitches a tent over me. He understands this that we haven't been left alone in our weakness. When you think of that, the picture, right, of a tent in your presence and that Jesus is in the tent with you, you're not left alone in your weakness. I mean, you're not abandoned in your weakness. That Jesus makes his home among the weak. That Jesus makes his home among the suffering. That Jesus makes his home among those who are experiencing hardships. Jesus makes his home among the hurting. That in our worst moments, Jesus can be doing his best work. I mean, isn't that what Jesus does on the cross, right? On Jesus's worst day, God was doing his best work for us. So could it be, could I offer you this, could I suggest this to you for a moment that in our worst moments, in our most hurting moments, in our most shameful moments, that God might be doing his greatest work in us and not only in us, but he might be doing it right there with us. I mean, that, friends, is good news. So Paul says, I'm okay not being okay. Like, it's fine. 
He became content in his weakness. He welcomed his weakness. He said in his insults, in his hardships, in his persecutions, in his troubles, that those were places of strength. That those were places that strength would begin to rise in him. Because he had a God who was perfecting his power in Paul's weakness. So here's the reality. And I think you know this without me telling you, but in case you don't, we're weak. Like we are weak. And in case you're trying to hide that still, the very fact that Jesus had to die on a cross for us outed us all, okay? <laughs> like it showed that we had sin and we had weakness and we had hardships and we had failures and we need help. And the reality is the only place we can find help is from God. But the funny thing is that in our weakness, that is often the very thing we try to use to distance ourselves from God and others. I think we, mend, we end up managing God. We end up managing God in a way that kind of keeps others at arm's length and him at arm's length. We wonder this sometimes, and maybe you don't wonder this, I do. And maybe it's something we have in common. If people really knew how much I struggled, if people really knew how much I wrestled, if people actually knew those moments of doubt in my life, like, would they still love me? Not only that, would they just want to be around me? Like, I take that, right? Or would they walk the other way and say, you're too difficult and you're too hard and I don't have time for it? And I believe that Paul wrestled with that. That's why he pleaded for God to make things different. That his storm was so painful that he wanted God to make things different. But there was a moment that God helped him turn a corner and he began to realize just how loved he was. Because the reality is this, friends, that God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he still loves us, right? Like God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's known us for a lot longer than we've known ourselves. Psalms 139 highlights that. Listen to this. Psalms 139 says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit up and you know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path lying down and you're acquainted with my ways. Even before a word is spoken on my tongue, you know it. I, I think last service that, that one part grabbed me, so I'll just go with it. Like, that's really encouraging to me because sometimes the things I say, I'm like, man, like if you knew I was going to say that before I said that, why would you let me, right? And like, how could you still love me? Because sometimes I like to talk and joke, and that gets me in trouble at home and with other people. But the very fact that God knows it before I says it, say it, he allows me to say it, and he loves me in the midst of it. That's encouraging to me. He goes on, yet you hem me in from behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. That's a beautiful picture. His hand is upon us. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David understood that God loved him. David understood that God loved him and knew him long before he knew himself. And, and later in that psalm, it says that God would lead him in the way of everlasting life. You don't lead someone in the way of everlasting life that you don't love, okay? God doesn't abandon us in their weakness. He doesn't leave us in our hardships. He doesn't run from our troubles and he doesn't always change our thorns. No, instead, he welcomes our weakness and he makes our home in the midst of our weakness. I would just offer you this, that God doesn't just see your weakness this morning. He shows up in the middle of it. 
That's the kind of God that we have. And he pitches his tent around us in our weakness. And he knows our thorn. And he, and he wants us to know that that thorn in our life is only there because he's allowed it to be there. And it's only there because he has a purpose of drawing us closer to himself in the middle of that. And we realize this, that ultimately Jesus wore a, th a crown of thorns on his head at the death. He was nailed to a cross at his death. And he rose in power so he could identify with our weakness. And I, friends, I had a friend share this with me this week, and this was so profound. I don't want you to miss it. That I think in the middle of our weakness, as he finds himself pitching his tent around us, he, wh he whispers these words to us. I don't love who you think you are or who you think you should be. No weakness. I love who you are. Don't miss that. He says, I don't love who you think you are or who you hope to be one day, right? This cleaned up better version of yourself. I love who you are. And I love you. Maybe you've been longing for your weakness to leave, right? Maybe there's that one thing that you're like, man, I need this to be gone today. But for this next year in 2020, will you join me in welcoming weakness? And will you receive God's grace? And I think the reality is this, that when we welcome weakness and we boast in our weakness, we receive the power of God in our life like never before. It's the same power that created the universe. It's the same power as, as Ross talked about a few weeks ago in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, that holds all things together. It's the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. That's the promise of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 12, verses 7 through 10, that God's power, that resurrection power, is perfected in our weakness. So we can welcome our weakness. And we can allow it to rest upon us. But the reality is this too, right? That when we boast in our weakness, other people find out that we're, we're a lot weaker than we pretend not to be, right? Other people actually know us. And that can be scary. Like that can be the reason I don't want to share with you. But that, that spirit of fear does not come from the Lord. Like the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear that comes from the enemy, because if he can't make us doubt God because our weakness, at least he can hope to isolate us from God and from others. But the reality is this, when I share my weakness with people, they tend not to move further from me, okay? They tend to move closer, which I'm really grateful, because as a lot of you know, I've talked about this last year, I have a cornea disease, okay, and that's a weakness. So if you moved further from me, I would not be able to find my way anywhere, okay? So thank you. Thank you for not moving further, but this is the truth. When people share how they're struggling with you, when they share how they're weak with you, when they share where they're hurting, you have more compassion to love them deeper, right? Because what you do and what I do and what you hope someone else will do for you is you get in the tent of their weakness with them. And I think when you boast in your weakness, not only does Jesus pitch his tent around you, he invites others into that tent so that you can experience his grace and his power like never before. I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He said, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in the affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort that we have received ourselves by God. 
When that grace becomes sufficient, not only does it comfort us, but it also comforts other, others. Um, I read this quote this week in one of the books I was studying. It's by this lady named Miss Mares who had an eye disease also. And she said this, I believe my greatest spiritual asset throughout my entire life has been my failing sight for it has kept me absolutely dependent upon God. I was thankful for that quote this week because my sight has failed a little this year as I've struggled some this year and I've had probably as many bad days as good days. And my prayer has not now been God changed my eyesight, which he can, right? Like I absolutely have faith he can. But my prayer has been God give me eyes to see more clearly who you are. Like God let me see you and your beauty and your grace. I have a God who doesn't abandon me. I have a God who loves me and makes his home in the middle of my weakness. So as we enter a new decade, together let's boast about our weakness and experience that grace that is enough for us. Let's pray. So with our heads bowed, eyes closed, I want you to hear this verse one more time. And you would allow it to minister to you right now. And our prayer team is moving forward, so if you need somebody to pray for you. I know to my left, we've got somebody, you're right, my left, we've got somebody who's ready to pray for you and to be in that tent of weakness with you. If you find yourself weak today, would you hear these words? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I want you to hear it one more time and just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. Think about that area that you are utterly weak in right now. The area of shame and hurt. The area that you wish was different. And hear the Lord say to you, not for the past, but for today. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. So Father, we need that to be true. God, give us faith that it is true. Thank you for every person here. And our Lord, I pray that we would boast about our weakness today so that your power can rest upon us. And Jesus, all throughout this room, what I see is as people begin to talk to you about their weakness, they're receiving grace, but also you're pitching a tent around them. And Jesus, that they would receive that ministry only you can offer. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.